This is Anthony Smith, host and conductor of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. And when I'm not doing my own podcast, I'm listening to That's It, That's All with your host, Alina Patton. Well, hello all and welcome to another episode of That's It, That's All podcast with Alina. Um... I just want to say thank you so far to all of my listeners, all of my amazing guests. I would like to say thank you to all of my contributors. And then I would like to especially dedicate this episode to my amazing best friend slash sister, April Parker, who is celebrating her birthday here today. Oh. So everybody, please, in the comments or whatever, please make sure y'all wish April a happy birthday and show her some birthday love on here today. Happy birthday, April. <laughs> So in today's episode of That's It, That's All podcast, we will be hosting my amazing guest. Thank you. For my that. amazing guest. Oh, my God. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Tabia. Tab. Tabia. Tabia. Mawasi. Mawusi. 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 And it sounds just. to switch the A and the U. I don't know why. Mawusi. I am so sorry. <laughs> now, from what I have come to know about her is she is she writes plays. You're a playwriter. Yes. She is an activist. Yes. She is a visionary. Yes. She is a songwriter. Um, she does spoken word. Yes. Um, she writes short stories. I do. Um, articles to help the black community. Um, she does training manuals and business summaries. Did yes. I did I get that it all? Sounds great. Did, yeah. did I did, did you, I miss anything? You did some research. <laughs> did I miss anything? <laughs> no, I think okay. you got most of it. Also, parents. <laughs> and she parents. I don't parent. I don't know nothing about it. I mean, if, if you was to ask my cousins, if you was to ask my sisters, yeah. they would tell you that I'm a parent. But I'd be like, what kids? Theirs. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's it. That's all theirs. That's it. Um, now, what does your name mean? Tabia Mawusi means talent in the hands of God. Talents in the hands of God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so... What made you want to tell the African-American story? Um, it's my story. And they say you should write about what you know most. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm a, you know, what, they, what I like to say, what is referred to most as African-American or black, because I think when it comes to identity, um, we've not been able or had the ability to have enough of the correct education to label ourselves or to identify ourselves, you know? So the African-American and black um, are terms that are used to identify us, but there is a lot of people who, I'm not black, I'm African-American, or I'm not African-American, I'm black. And then there's those that say, I'm not either one of those. You, you, know? don't, you don't like that term, correct? I mean, um, it's not so much that I don't like it. So when it comes to the term black, Mm -hmm. It means dead in law. And so when we check a box on the census that says black, we're identifying and agreeing with the fact in law that we're dead. So I don't like that because there's colorable law, which really is um, created to. It's mendacity. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's to create lies. It's to de deceit, uh, be deceitful and to trick, you know. And um, so we have to understand that when it comes to us identifying as black, we're saying that we're dead. 
And so if you look at the census uh, and, and all the categories that you're able to identify as um, on the census, all the different races, um, African-American, Black, Haitian, Negro, all of those terms, all of that, that group is the only group that isn't identified as an original person mm. or original people. Whereas every other race, their definition states original people. And there's a reason for that. Okay. No, he gotta get on for a second. He gotta walk past. I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> you okay? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's an episode in itself that I'm willing to have, you yeah. know, because we, we have to talk about it. Yeah, we, we do. do. We Absolutely. do have to talk about it. Absolutely. We, we do. I have. agree with that. Because it's, it's, I'll say this, even though this, it doesn't have anything to necessarily do with this episode, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that it can tie into this episode. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because to do with this episode. Uh, too many times are we demeaned for just being who we are. Right instead of just being able to let our light shine yes. in the way of which it should. Right. And so when you look at all of that, then it does come with um, the sexuality piece of it. Yes. You know, and not just for us as women, but just also for our counterparts as well. Yes. And it's just, we don't, we don't always get to let our light shine, shine yes. in a, in a, an appropriate safe space. And I, and I, I don't like that about our community. I just, mm -hmm. I don't like that. I, I, don't, I don't like it either. And there's a lot of different things in our community that I don't like. And Do you so, know what I'm yeah, saying? But so. that's part of what needs to be mended. <laughs> yes. know? Um, and it really plays a big role because it has to do with mental health. Um, I think that most of us who have challenges with our sexuality in any way, even, we're not talking about how you identify heterosexual, homosexual, none, none of that. I'm talking about just being comfortable in our body and how we want to express our sexuality. A lot of us have challenges and it mm -hmm. deals, it's all because of what we're thinking. Yeah, so and what we talk, and, it, and it's all about the mindset. Mm -hmm. And so that's a reason why I do my podcast. I love it. That's it, 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 that's it, all. Yeah, that's, it, that's all, because if we can change it, right. then then we can become better in ourselves. And then it actually can help with what the topic is, what today's topic is. But just before I move on to those topics, um, you spoke about your personal experience of growing up in, in this skin, right? Uh -huh. So um, I was reading because, I'm sorry, even though she said that I, I got everything, I did miss a part. Okay. You are an author. Yeah, well, I've published my plays. Okay, you've published your play, but uh -huh. you can go on, because I looked on Amazon. Yeah, and you, can, you can go on there and buy both books. Okay. I have um, two books. Both of them are plays. The first play I did was uh, Mend a City, Lie, or actually at that time I was saying Mendacity, Lies Left Unspoken. Okay. And um, I would say Mend a City as well, but at the time we were calling it Mendacity, Lies Left Unspoken. And it's a play about the pastor and his wife and these kids they adopted and um, or were raised in foster care. And all these lies that get exposed and everybody's lives are changed forever. Okay. But um, when I gave it the title, uh, my title was Lies Left Unspoken, but the Holy Spirit wasn't in agreement. Okay. So as I was typing the title page, it was like, that's not it. Go find another word for lies. So I went to the source and I put lies in there and it said mendac mendacity. 
And I was like, uh, Tennessee Williams did a play called that. I don't want to do that. And then I literally saw the word jump off the computer screen and like split. And it was mend a city. And Spirit said, in the city I'm calling you to mend is the ethnicity most often referred to as African-American and black. Let's go. And I was like, okay. And what's crazy is Obama just got elected. So, you know, we didn't have racism anymore because we had a black president. Oh, no, no, yeah, you know, no, no. Who said that? I'm just saying. That's, that's what they <laughs> were saying. Said, who said that? That's what they were saying, right? <laughs> who, who they, they, that's that? what they were saying. Who, they would have got cussed and, out that and, day. And, and um, if anything, to me, it just made the racism come out more because we had a black president, Correct. right? <laughs> so, but that's what people were telling me when I was pushing that narrative back then. That, oh, well, we have a black president. We can't really... We can't just see, focus see, on see, black this, people. This, this, this is the thing, right? And I, I don't want to take nothing from Obama's presidency, uh -huh. but technically, he's like George Bush and them. Uh -huh. Like they're all politicians. No, no, not even that. <laughs> like that's his cousin somewhere down the line. Oh, like off his. They're related. Yeah, they're oh, related in okay. real life. Oh wow, I didn't. Know and, that. In, in real life, him and George Bush, the daddy and the son, they're they're related. To Obama. Yeah, to Obama. Oh, wow. I didn't oh, know that. Because the mama is... The mama is yeah, Caucasian. Okay. Or, yeah, so on the mama's side, yeah. his grandfather that raised him is like an uncle or something to, to the, the, the daddy. Yeah. Uh, and so, which makes them... Cousins. Cousins. Okay. So... Yeah. He's just on he's the other side of the line. Yeah, say what you well, want. I, I think that um, when it comes to us as a people um, in our history in this country... Regardless of whether it's Republican or Democrat, none of them, they're all at war with us. Oh, yeah. Do you know? Oh, they're yeah. all at war with us. Oh, yeah. Regardless of how they mask it with the liberal agenda, um, they're still really, they're all at war with us. I agree. And until reparations come, I'll definitely feel like we're still at war. Yeah, and I, it's the question of when, but see, that's another episode. Right, that's another episode. See, that's another episode. I just think when it comes to reparations, how do you measure how do you measure what they owe us? How do you measure that? How do you measure what they owe us 400 years? I guess in, um, in the episode that I um, did, and we can always go back to this episode as well, um, I did it about did the government, so my last episode was about did the government destroy the black family. Oh, wow. Um, and so we didn't really touch on the reparations part of it. But what uh -huh. I did touch on was how when they started creating TANF and Social Security and um, just the whole welfare system mm -hmm. of it. Right. Um, they didn't create it with us in mind. Right. And so then once they figured out that they had to give it to us, because not only did you have now our men working in these factories that were in our neighborhoods mm -hmm. and now they're up and eligible for the pensions or they had a trade and a skill and they had their own businesses or they were bankers, which is probably why our cities and our towns got burned down, because what other way can we suppress them? Because mm -hmm. now we destroy it by fire, then they can't prove that they they ever even had any of this. Because the documents are gone. Because the documents are gone. And yeah. I don't know that anybody ever looks at it that way, wow. but the documents are gone. But the point is, is that now you have these displaced families because now you went into our communities and you've burned them down because you didn't want us to have this and you didn't want us to have that. But now you have to give it to us. So then they created the um, the no man in the house law. 
Mm. Where when the social workers went to the home, if yes. there was a man in the home, whether whether it was a husband or a son deemed to be workable at the time, mm -hmm. then they cut off your assistance. But the problem is, is that you actually had some people that were very honest and very integral about their jobs. Mm -hmm. And so when they did their jobs, they did their jobs. So if it applied to this house, then it applied to this house. So when they were going to the white homes mm -hmm. and they had an, an eligible working body able man in the home to work. Okay. Well, we're going to have to cut your assistance uh -huh. off too. So now they got to take that law back because now it's affecting who they made the law for. Right. Right. But, and they, they've made a lot of laws specific to us. Oh yeah. Absolutely. The, 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 the whole freedom of it was lost, you know, because then they, the 13th amendment was still set to say, well, if you get caught laudering around these places, you know, then we're going to put you in back jail. in. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an episode. That's another that's episode. episode. That? Look, we're going to talk about a whole this, lot of this, stuff. This that's is, another this, episode. This, is, so this experience, <laughs> um, for me can go all type of ways for me because, these are the things that I think about in the back of my head. And so when people tell me that the Willie Lynch letters were not real, I, I, I beg to differ. Yeah. I'm like, even if I don't know when it originated, I don't know how long ago that it was written. I don't know what the timeline is. And I've heard that it's not real or that there was no Willie Lynch that actually existed. What is on that paper manifests. It did. And there's proof and evidence that it did. Oh, yeah. So it manifests regardless. Like the written word is powerful. Oh, yes, right? it is. Because um, somebody wrote it. Right. Somebody wrote it. Somebody wrote it. Right. Whether, even if, even if Willie it was, himself did it, somebody yeah. wrote it. Yeah. And, and it's very clear that it's real because it's still those are the things that are still toxic to our community. It is. You know, when it comes, especially when it comes to family, like. I'm just really grateful that I'm a part of a family where I don't have aunts and uncles that don't talk, that don't have sisters and brothers that don't communicate, I don't have cousins. You know, we might not talk all the time, but I can't say there's one family member who's tore their ass with me to where I'm not going to ever talk to them or give them love or show them appreciation. Oh, God bless you. You know, I, I, I can, I'm grateful for that, right? <laughs> And yet I witness it with other people all the time. And, see, and it breaks my heart to see it. In my family, I was taught you, you, you treat them with a long wooden handle spoon. Yeah. No, does the love not stop? Mm -hmm. But I was always taught to protect. But then recently I was taught a lesson of forgiveness because wow. you cannot grow anywhere if you're harboring ill will Ooh. and ill intentions. And so I find myself at a place where I'm just, I'm not mad. And I may be a little hurt and a little bruised, mm -hmm. but I can forgive you. Yeah. And, and I can entertain you and forgive you. It's a difference, right. too. Because it used to be a place where I used to be like, mm -mm. I can't fake it. I can't even fake it. No. You don't have to fake it if you change your mind. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You just got to change your mind. Just change the thought that you have so that you don't have to fake it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so that's, that, that's where I'm at. Yeah. And then, you know what? And that's it. And that's all on that. Okay. <laughs> so what I do want to ask you um, is just because the last week, the type of week that I had. Um, who is your favorite poet or author? Oh my goodness. You know what's so crazy? Um, and it's like, I hate that this is really, I love the Bible. <laughs> and listen, I love the Bible. And, 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 and I know it's written by a lot of different people. And I understand that um, I, I have, I'm not religious at all anymore. I'm extremely spiritual. 
but I have the word of God in me. Yes. You know, it's planted seeds in me that have allowed me to produce and to flourish, right? Yes. I've, I got fruit on my tree because of the word that is in me and the lessons I've learned from reading that word. So I would say, really, the Bible is my favorite book, and it's poetry. <laughs> and you know what I like about the Bible? It has every story you could ever want to hear about this life. Right. It, it, it's nothing. In the experience that you're going through, you could probably find something yeah. synonymous in that book. Now, I, I think that people have taken and made it to what they wanted to fit, fit, fit their own uncomfortability with their mm -hmm. own selves, right? But... The, the most of the Bible mm -hmm. is definitely God. Like, I, I know, and I'm, I'm with you The spirit you there. is in the word. Yeah. You know, it's in the word. Yeah. It, it's And the thing is, is we write scripture all the time. Oh. I write scripture all the time. Things that, it's not me writing. I put my pen to paper and my spirit is moving. You know, it's, so it's not the God me. You moving across. So it's, it's the God that I am. Yes. We're writing on this page. Amen. Right? So... I understand that, you know, scripture, um, whether it's in the Bible or it's something that's written by someone else, if it can, if you can read it and connect with that word and it can feed or what, and, and you know, they say one plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. Mm -hmm. If it does any one of those steps for you in your life where you are and you resonate with it, it's scripture. That's how I see the rhythm. I like it. I understand the power of the word. I, I, I know numbers to understand that three is the power of expression, and it's the written word. And if we can get an idea, which is one, and then two is analyze the idea. Think it through. Analyze it. That's the spirit. The spirit is thought. And then you express it, write the vision, make it plain, and when they read it, they will run. <laughs> Won't they though? Right. <laughs> Won't they though? Um so I guess I won't say right now what is your um which poem speaks to you at the cause that was my question for you, which poem speaks to you the most in your current state. But what I will ask you is uh -huh. what scripture what scripture speaks the most so, to you right now in your life? I would say that my biggest affirmation is all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I don't even remember the address anymore. <laughs> I don't remember the address anymore, but I think that um, all things uh, work together for the good of those who are called by the Lord. You know, um, it, all, it all works together. No matter what it looks like today, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And it, it always is. In the words of my pastor, uh -huh. you only get to live today. Right. You can relive tomorrow if you want to. Well, he didn't say this, so I'm going to say it in my language, okay. the way he gave it to me. You can only live for today. Because mm -hmm. if you choose to relive tomorrow, then you'll never know what the day holds for you. So what he says to me is, well, but, but what my pastor says to me, said, uh, that's what I got from what he gave to right. me. But what my pastor always said, today is the best day of your life. It is. No doubt about it. <laughs> That That's what true. you ask him. You say, hey, Pastor, how you doing? He'd be like, best day of my life. No doubt about it. And you can't do nothing but smile because then you got to think about it like, well, I done had a bad day. I done had this. Well, it's not the best day of my life. But it's it's because it's, it's what you it's, make it. It's what you're in. It, it, it's, it's your presence. It's what you make it's it. It's your gift. It is what you I make. woke up and took in some breath. Like, <laughs> I was still breathing. That was the gift all by itself. Yes, yes, yes. You know? 
<laughs> so now that I have uh-huh. got a little insight on you, okay, um, I want to jump into today's topic. Okay, is that okay? Absolutely. All right. So I, I did theme this episode um, after you, and uh, it is mend a city. Uh-huh. How do we unite the black community? Well, you know, um, I think that uniting starts with mindset. And so there's eight clarion calls in the Mendes City movement. And the first clarion call is to the head. Um, and it's for us to realize and identify with the fact that we need to unite, right? Um, not just unite, but once united, we need to organize and strategize an agenda for ourselves. So we know what it is that we're needing and knowing how to go after it, you know? Um, and in terms of uniting, I think that one of the challenges that I find is all of those things in the Willie Lynch letter that calls us, us to be divisive, we are fully functioning in those things. And we need to set aside our differences. Doesn't matter what God you praise or worship, doesn't matter what tribe you're from, what what city, state, or block you're from. I mean, any and every reason for us to be divided I can find, and I think that if we can learn how to set aside those differences and come together on the fact that we are all melanated people who have a right to, we have human rights that are being violated that we need to focus on to address, we have the magic in us to make that happen. We just need to get on one accord. And I don't think it takes all 40 million of us, as they say, I think there's a whole lot more of us than they say there are, but that's another story. But you know what, it, it's interesting because when mm-hmm. I did some research, I found out that we are not the minority okay. and at least moving in the direction of what we're moving in, right? Uh-huh. Um, what do you mean by we are not the minority? Meaning, it's it really is more of us than it is of them, right? Mm-hmm. But they suppress it because Ooh. it is um, it is areas in Africa that are undocumented as far as what the actual population number is. And uh-huh. those small little yeah. towns around from the top of the continent to the bottom of it, to the left of it, to the mm-hmm. right of it. Right. right. Um, so when you only give a centralized number of what those people are, then you start to think like, oh, well it's not that many of us, right? right? So they would have us believe that we only make up with like 12 to 14% of the population. But in real actuality, if you start going into other cultures, you will find black mm-hmm. people in right. those cultures. That's why if you go over into like India or uh, Pakistan or those South uh, East Asia places and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, you will see people with our same skin tone right. and probably get darker than we because get. We're, we're, we're aboriginal. Yeah. Well, our ancestors but, have been here for millions of years. But if you right? let them tell it. They, they've only been here for about 6,000. Yeah. They're a new species or race of people so or whatever. You, I don't know how to classify that. If you let them tell it, it's, we're, not the, we're, we're a minority, yeah. but we're really. Well, even, I think, like, globally, I realize that, especially because of the continent of Africa, that they're definitely a minority globally, right? But even in the United States, they say there's 40 million of us, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. 41 million, right? And 300 million of them, or maybe it's like 298 million, and the rest are Asians and Latinos, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that in this country, 
there's way more than 40 million of us. This is why we should be way you, you way more united, and it should definitely be a priority for us. Right. Um, one of the greatest tactics they ever used against us was division. Yes. Um, black people have been uniquely targeted and attacked because of our common identity as people of an African descent, mm -hmm. and yet they don't want to talk about it. That was another thing when I started doing my episode uh, with, um, which who you know, uh, Kimberly, Kimberly, yeah. Kimberly uh, Bowden, which yeah. is who I had on the show. Um, we were talking about how there is no research on generational trauma when it comes to people of African descent in America. Mm -hmm. But when you go to do the research on it, you'll find everything you want to find on the Holocaust. Right. You'll find everything that you want to find on being raped. Um, you'll find everything on economical, different economical traumas that dealt with other communities. But when mm -hmm. it comes to ours, there's like no concrete research. Why do you that, think that is? Um, because the less that you know, the more it, it's kind of like with the critical race theory stuff, right? Mm -hmm. How they want to take it all out of the schools, because what the, the issue is, what I find is that now it's their grandmothers, that's still alive and thriving mm -hmm. in this society, but it's them that's in these textbooks. It's them that's in this they picture. Right. They, they did it. it. It's very clear uh -huh. that they they did it. You right. you did that. Yeah, I think that it, it it's difficult for them to pick up a book and they have this um, mixed or biracial grandchild, right, who looks like us, right. more like us than and them. them. Uh -huh. And then it's like, Grandma, is this you? And then how do you explain to this child that you love, right, that that was you? That that was you. That was right. you. And I think it becomes a thing of your conscience and what can I, can I not deal right. with. That white guilt. Huh. Yeah, that white guilt. Yeah. It's they, the, the thing is, is they, they don't want to admit, they, they don't want to create anything that is going to allow them to admit the guilt that's going to cause them to have to make reparations. Yeah. Like they don't want, they don't, they don't want to do the research. So it's amazing. You mentioned that um, I'm on the board of a nonprofit organization called Lorraine's place too. It's a foster care agency. It's run by my best friend. And um, when I was in Washington for a while, I was going and sitting on the panels with the state and all the other uh, service providers that provide service to children who are in uh, DHSS, I think is how it's there. And so um, one of the things that I, I realized is that there's a pro there are these programs that are called evidence-based practices, right? And they have to utilize these evidence-based practices and take these classes in order to get their children back. And the percentage of... Um, white children who go back to their families is about 70%. The percentage of black children who go back to their families was like at like 23 or 24%. So that meant that there was a huge discrepancy. And they're trying to understand why. But you have these evidence-based practices that you say, oh, these work. We know they work. Mm -hmm. We've, we, they were, they were uh, promising uh, practices where there was an idea, so we tested it, did some research, and so now it's a research-based practice, and that research gave us evidence that it works, so now it's an evidence-based practice. And in order for the state to allow it to be in their system, it had to be evidence-based. 
Well, tell me, how many black families were tested in this evidence-based practice? And they can't tell you. Because none were. They, 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 they barely had any in the program, and the ones that did were the ones that failed. But because it worked for 70% of the white families, it works. It works. But it doesn't work in black families because the cultures are different. Well, so that's why we know why our children don't go back home. The white children do. And not all, you know. But anyway, yeah. They don't have enough. They don't bother to take the time to study us because we're not relevant. That's like when you go to the uh, doctor's office and you step on the scale and they tell you that you should be weighing 120 pounds and you're like, um... I would be in a zero, and I don't want to be that little. No, I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? I'm learning that um, I had a, a, a nutritionist mm -hmm. tell me that um, the medical community has been advised that they shouldn't be judging us off of our weight anyway. Mm -hmm. It should be more so geared towards, um, I forgot exactly what they said, but you have people who will lose inches. Like, I'm a person who I will lose inches mm -hmm. before the scale will ever move. So really it should be based off of like what my my hip and my yeah. measurements and stuff is. And then I should be guided to how to move my body that way. Right. In that right. sense of a way. Because right. the one thing about the scale is you can go on a liquid diet, right? And the scale will move. But the moment I start to Drink gain the water. <laughs> yeah, but the I mean, moment I go to start lifting weights and uh -huh. everything, then I'm building mass, mm -hmm. which is heavier. heavier. And so they were just saying that the if we if um, if we move more towards like a European or uh, not the Western stuff that we've been taught, but mm -hmm. more towards like the Asian or what Eastern, all of the uh, Eastern, Eastern stuff, yeah, we would actually be a healthier community because as people. Because right. we would actually know what our body likes and doesn't like. Right. Have you heard Dr. Sabi? I've heard a little bit of Dr. Oh, Sabi, but um, it's so hard to get into him now. And let me tell you why. It's uh -huh. because a lot of people have taken what he has tried to give to us uh -huh. and then they twisted it and turn it's kind of like with the bible they twisted the merchant yeah they didn't the twist it. Merchant. they sell, they sell they it they, they sell it. his 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 philosophy but they're not <laughs> selling it in the which of the way of uh he would have naturally probably given it to uh -huh. us it's kind of like with uh steve jobs how he didn't want the release of the the ipad and the the, the um ipod and different things mm -hmm. but yet here we have it it was right. technology he didn't want us to have but yet we, we have it. it right and so i think that with uh dr Stevie, that they do that to his. Um, um, now, I do think that you have people that were going to tell the truth and pick mm -hmm. up from where he left off, but of course, they're yeah. no longer. His videos are amazing, though. If you just can catch one on YouTube, he's he teaches a lot about what we should and should not be putting in our body. And I'm not sitting here saying I'm I'm alkaline, all alkaline, but if you need healing, it's a good way to go. No, I believe in the alkaline yeah. healing of yeah. it, and I, I, I did it, and that's where I, I kind of fell off the, uh, the horse with it is because I had something traumatic happen to me, mm -hmm. and then it took me from my my own personal journey. But I'm working back towards Georgia. it now. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that's it. And that's all. That's on it. That. Okay. <laughs> um. So 
What are some anecdotes and solutions to make our community more united? Um, How can the black culture effectively work towards uniting with one another? So um, I was a cheerleader in high school. And I remember we would have pep rallies. And we would go out with our school spirit, Mm -hmm. right? And have our campaign to get everybody to get excited about going to the game. And for me, that's kind of like what the Mendes City movement is. It's the spirit moving. Right. And so the idea is for me and what I feel that I've been called to do is for me to cast my net out into the deep to see how many I can catch. Mm -hmm. And so the play is that marketing tool to go out and throw my net out into the deep. Right. And see who we can pull in. And um, so if we could. Well, I always say with Mendes City at the end of the play, you know, it's like I know that you're doing your own thing and I know that you're really great at what you do. But I also know you feel her heartbeat and you or hear her heartbeat, you know, and you hear her calling, too. So um, it's calling out to him and her and they hear us him calling, too. But anyway, um, the idea is that whatever it is that you're passionate about. Wherever it is, whatever skill set you have, where you have your expertise, whatever it is that you've mastered, do it with the idea and the thought in mind of mending a city. So, I mean, if you are a graphic artist, you know, find a way to use that tool to encourage people to mend and to heal our community, you know. Find things that you can support that's going to help to heal and mend creating that wonderful art that you do. You know, if you're uh, uh, in agriculture, you're in farming, man, we need to create, we need to buy up some farmland and start planting some seeds and creating our own grocery store. So you would, you would agree that we need economic actions. Absolutely. To to support our community. Yes. I think that, um, you know who Brian Harris is? Yes. Okay. So I used to work with Brian Harris off and on back in the day when he first started with his uh, black directory the black book directory. And um, he would always say, our problem is not social, it's economic. (laughs) And it is, it really is. Because every social issue, the answer, it's like the Bible again, money answers all things. Mm -hmm. You know, money is the issue. So we, so I wrote down a thing about moving our banking out of mega banks into more black owned or community development banks and credit unions. How do you feel about that? So I've been learning some things about banking mm-hmm. and there's two sides to banking and one side we are not privy to, but we are entitled to. There is public banking, which we all have public bank accounts, but there's a private banking as well. And so, um, at one point, I thought that if we could all just unify and get our minds right, you know, we put that call out to not go to the gas station or don't go spend money this weekend as black people. You know what I mean? When we do those things, right? But if we could all just take all our money out of whatever bank we're in and switch it to a, a black owned bank or um, then then we'll be OK. But the thing is, is the Federal Reserve is owned by 13 families and they not black. And there's not one bank out there, black owned or not, that is not connected to that system. You know what's interesting <laughs> about one of those families? Um, I want to say it's the Rockefellers, correct? Yeah. Um, that's what, that's I, the I, main one. I, I love and that a lot of people praise uh, Spelman and Morehouse and don't even know how 
Yeah. They were they, started. Yes. Their endowments um, are Rockefeller. And like, yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm not sure who the beneficiaries are on those endowments, I don't but either. I don't think it's a um, Me and my therapist, <laughs> the, uh, yesterday we were having a conversation about how Howard recently had um, a white um, summa cum laude that graduated at the top of the class. Okay. And I just found that to be interesting that certain things that were made for us like i.e. affirmative action uh-huh. the different things allowed you know but then we also got into the infiltration of um the sororities and fraternities that were just meant for us and uh-huh. now how they you know have these diverse uh, people in it and i'm by all means join what you feel comfortable with right. because some of them have grew up with us some of them have grew up been our next door neighbors been our best friend right um but when does what's for us just be for us? Like why why That's, couldn't we why couldn't we have that? And so it made me think about um prisons, private prisons and fossil fuels. Like Ooh. um You said fossil? Fossil fuels. Like we don't have a lot of contributors, but yet down in Texas mm-hmm. or Louisiana or Alabama or those different places where you can get oil and different uh-huh, things from uh-huh. where which was predominantly from us. Right. We we did that, right? Mm-hmm. Why don't we have, like, can we can't even name, like, top. So the crazy thing is, is um, when it comes to a lot of rights, when it comes to minerals, there are a lot of people who own land, but they don't have the rights to the minerals on that land, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that colorable law, that trickery mm-hmm. <laughs> I was talking about earlier, right? So they sign away those rights so without realizing it, and when they buy it, they don't see that that title excluded those rights. Right. Correct. And so, um, even though they we, we may own a lot own a lot of land in those areas as people of black people, a lot of them don't have the rights to the minerals on it. You know, in them prisons, man, they were built for us. They were. They were. Mm-hmm. So, have you ever heard of the fifteen percent pledge? Okay, so we make up about 15% of the U.S. population. Um, So it's where we're asking businesses to dedicate at least 15% of their shelf space to black-owned brands. Oh, wow. I love that. At least 15. At least. At least 15. Right? Because I know um, you go into Walmart and in the hair section, there's a... One, one little case, you know? And it's a cage. And you, you got to push the button. And you got to push the button. And then you got to wait on somebody to come. And then they got a nasty attitude. Like, like I don't need this quarantine or whatever. Right. The, the Cantu. That's what it's called. Cantu. Cantu. Oh, the Cantu. The Y'all don't come yeah. after me, Cantu, for this. I'm just telling you what my experience in Walmart is with your product. Mm. Wow, they lock it up. They lock it up. That's great. And then they try to tell me that it is, um, what is the word? And I used to work in loss prevention and can't even, um, shrinkage. Shrinkage? Shrinkage. So, shrinkage. Shrinkage, meaning people steal it and it causes a shrink of it in, in the in the store. Okay. So they lose money for uh-huh. what's For stole, people stealing that stealing product. Stealing that particular product. Uh huh. You know, I might have to go get me some of that can too. It might be worth like gold or something. <laughs> I gotta lock it up. So, how do you feel about uh, people joining uh, diversity or inclusion groups at work? Like, do you think that can help unify us? So, I just really had this conversation with someone today, kind of briefly, and he was saying that he felt like the diversity and inclusion was just like uh, 
social, public, um, politically correct thing, but it didn't really exist. You know, like it's not really real. And um, I think that it's definitely necessary um, for us to be able, like my sister is on the board of the Black Banker, Black, Black Banking Professionals at B of A. Um, she is the only Black African-American Black woman in all of Merle Lynch on the West Coast. And they're hiring, just so you know. So, and they, they're looking, I'm putting that out there. So I actually have two friends that I know <laughs> right now that does banking. Uh, one name is uh, Vershana, mm -hmm. which is one of my very good friends. And then my best friend, Shamira, um, which is one of my contributors. Yeah. Um, She's a financial advisor. I yeah. left that part out. She's with Merle Lynch. So as a financial advisor, she's the only one on the West Coast so, for Bank of America. There you go. If you're right. looking for and they, they and, and they have an association that she's on and they're working to do good in the community. And I do know that in terms of banking. And she's, I think Bank of America has been trying to do some things, you know, but um I think that it's necessary, and I've worked in places where it's there, there is no diversity and inclusion or any safe space for us to come together and really have conversations. You know, um, there'd be like three or four of us, you know, gathered, and we're like, okay, we got to break this up before they're like, what y'all doing? <laughs> so speaking of the workplace, because I do have it on my list mm -hmm. for as of where unity falls into it as the workplace. Um, do you think that as African-Americans, sometimes we segregate ourselves in the workplace? I don't think it's necessarily that we're segregated. I don't like the word segregation in that, in that sense. And that I think segregation is something that is like forced upon you, right? Mm -hmm. I think that we have an opportunity to unify in that workplace. And um, sometimes we don't necessarily feel comfortable unifying because it's too many of us coming together, like I just said, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's, okay, there's only six of us in this office and there's five of us standing here right now. We might need to go before they think we have the meeting. <laughs> and you know what's funny to me is um, recently at work, I was driving, well, I had some incidents happen at work mm -hmm. and I started to think of the poem, we wear the, um, we wear the mask, and I think, what's that by uh, Paul Lawrence Dunbar? Is that the, we wear the mask? We wear the mask? It's a poem. I don't think I know that. So let me look it up really I quickly. I hear that. We wear the mask. Let me get out of here. Let me see if I can find it here really quickly. But while I'm looking for it, um, it made me think about how my employer told me that if I wanted to advance my career is that I had to um, separate myself from certain people. But the people that I hang around at my job, they all want, oh, they all look like me. Let's mm -hmm. be very clear. Not all of them, not all of okay. them, but the most of them. Uh, so I, I want to say one of them, she's uh, maybe Hispanic or Puerto Rican or okay. something. Um, but I do know that her children's father is black. So okay. we don't, we don't call her right on into the family. Right. Okay. Um, I know that the other girl is Hispanic, and then um, one of the guys is from Hawaii, mm -hmm. and then the other two girls, we are, we're black. You're all melanated. We're all melanated. Mm -hmm. um, 
but we do well together. We get okay. our work done together. We encourage each other to get together. Right. Like we're a real good support system. But the, the thing about our support system, it just doesn't cover us. It covers anybody who comes in contact with us. Mm-hmm. So we're just not nice to each other because of because of right. this. Right. We're nice to each other because genuinely, that's who you are. That's who it's we how are. You was raised. That's, you was that, raised right. Yeah, that, that's who we are. <laughs> right. And so for me and me and the um the the guy from hawaii to be told well if you want to move up in this company you have to you know disconnect yourself from these people but what's interested is is that all of us want to be a supervisor all of us want to be one of us want to be a lead one of us want to be on one on this so all of us is looking to move our career forward so what is it about us Mm -hmm. that we have to separate ourselves from each other that's segregation (laughs) <laughs> that's crazy when it's forced it's segregation so now then wow. they then 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 you want to then it's like you tell me that i have to adjust my attitude and they tell him he has to adjust tone something down and this why do i have to tone any of this down to for me to get a promotion why can't my work which i do excellent work right speak for itself. speak for itself right but you want me to come to work and still be the same bubbly Hi. Good morning. How are you? Uh-huh. But I give it. I don't just give it to them. I give it to everybody. Uh-huh. I, I don't give because I don't. I don't know what you came to work today feeling like. Right. And if you came to work today feeling any type of way, and I know that it's in my place and space to be able to be that one outcome and change to say, you know what, I can have a better day, right? Mm-hmm. Then I'm gonna do that. But right. I don't just do it for yeah. those. Well, you're who you are, genuinely, right? Like for me. Even if I'm feeling like crap for whatever reason, I'm not displaying that to everybody because I don't want someone else to feel like crap just because I do, right? Mm -hmm. I would rather greet them with a smile and just be who I am genuinely because feeling like crap is not my genuine nature. So (laughs) the poem is by Paul Lawrence Dunbar, and it says, We wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. This debt we pay to human ghoul with torn and bleeding hearts, we smile and a mouth marade subtitles. We should, why should this world be otherwise? And counting all tears and sighs, nigh let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but oh great Christ, our cries. To them, I'm sorry. To thee, from tortured souls arise. We sing, but oh the day, oh, but oh the clay is veiled beneath our feet and along the mile. But let the world dream otherwise. We wear the mask. Mm, that is so real. That is that's but that's, that's what she wants you to do. That's what she wants you to do. It's and ex- I felt so defeated. In that space. I felt so. I never felt so defeated in my life, like leaving a place where you know me being me so let me ask this question um do you think that because i think sometimes right um again back to the bible god hardened pharaoh's heart right Mm -hmm. sometimes situations happen or occur so that we can be uncomfortable because there's something else for us And it might be that you're in a place where you're ready to grow beyond and maybe the promotion's not there. It's somewhere else. 
you know. And that's how I feel. Right. I and felt that. And, and I felt that. And, that's, and, that's, <laughs> and that's like, why you don't even want to go back. That's our, oh, no, no. And, I, and I'm supposed to go back tomorrow. And I had this long conversation with my cousin, Tierra, mm-hmm. on my way here. Because me and Tierra, we talk about everything. Okay. And, I, and I told her, I said, you know, I'd just rather take a chance. Right. Take a chance. Just, just, I'd just rather take a chance on me. Right. And whatever it's going to be, it is going to be. Because... I don't want to go in there That was like a whole lyric. I I would rather take a chance on me. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. Yeah, I'd just rather take a chance on me. Right. I don't want to go in there tomorrow and... and, and, and (laughs) (laughs) I had a great... And I did. I had a great vacation. I don't want to do any of that. I mean, I want to do it with those seven, but I don't want to do it with all of them. I don't... don't, I don't want to do it with them. I don't. I ain't even going to lie. I don't even care if they watching right now. I don't want to do it with none of y'all but them. Uh-huh. Not them, I do it with. But right. the rest of y'all, <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> I really want to tell you to go to hell, but I ain't gonna do that either. But God bless you. <laughs> That's what I mean. But I'm just gonna be right. truthful with myself right. because if I allow myself to operate in the negative of what they want me to, then they win, right? Mm-hmm. They win. Right. But I still gotta have my own self control. So exactly, I think that um, another problem, um, especially when it comes to mental health, is people aren't aware of their actions. They're too busy reacting to pay attention to the choices they're making with their actions. Mm -hmm. So um, if we can get to where we're like observing our lives, like we're the fly on the wall watching us in the space we're in and really making um, a conscious choice with every word and every action and every movement versus just moving and talking because there's something we need, we feel like we need to say something, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, I think if more of us can get there, that's a level of maturity to that, I think as well. I think a lot of us are so busy reacting to what's happening, we're not making our choices. So when it comes to these communities that we have fostered for ourselves, how can we foster unity in the communities? Like, if you had to pinpoint like a top three steps to it what what would you what would you say where because I, I for me i know it's 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 um the accountability part of it right mm-hmm. like i know that part of it but i guess for me it's a little bit deeper too yeah. so what would your top three because i got i got my top three and it um the crazy thing is is that um i'm at a point right now where if i had the answer to this i'd we'd, we'd be a lot farther along than we are in this movement Right. Um, I see where the problems lie, but it really comes down to mindset. Like for me, it's all mindset. It's everything starts there. And if um, we could find a way to be consistent and gathering and coming together. And um, like I was listening to, uh, I go on Clubhouse a lot, so I listen to these rooms all the time but they were talking about how it starts with the family. Mm-hmm. And then from the family, it moves to the clan. I'm glad you mentioned family. Uh-huh. And then from the clan, it moves to the tribe. And then from the tribe, all the tribes come together and they form the nation, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we've come away from that. It's not that that's ancestrally, that's what we did. But family was broken. I mean, families were so strong when I was young. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'm, I'll be 53 this year, right? Ooh, you uh, would know I, it. I look like I'm 25. You do. Give it you to know, her. Give I'm it to her. I'm 52 right now. But <laughs> anyway, um, 
but I'll, I'll be 53 this year. So I was born in 69. And when I was growing up, family was very strong in terms of, you know, cousins and nieces and uncles. And everybody was just at the house on Sunday, you know, or, or holidays or holidays or whenever, yeah. or just it would drop. You would just drop in at, at someone's house and say hi because they that's your auntie, you know, and didn't have to call first, you mm -hmm. know, didn't feel obligated to call. First. Didn't feel obligated. It you was know? just you. It was um, welcome, though, because grandmas were yeah, grandmas. You but just, our yeah. community has gone for the hills. You know, everyone's moved out and went to the hills. They got that house in the suburbs. They coming up, you know. I think that we went from having a sense of family and community to individuality. And what is it I'm doing? How am I? How? What? What? Look at me. Look at what I'm doing mm -hmm. now. I, I went and I got that car. I went and I got that house. I went and I got that job. I went to that university and I got that degree. And now I'm over here. I'm up here. Yeah. But everybody else is still left in the hood. To figure, you know, I was watching this thing on um, the show on Netflix, and it was the lady that started the Me Too movement, and I can't think of exactly what the name of the show was, okay. but it was like her interviewing different black women, and um, one of the black women, she um, lives in the jungle in California, so uh, it's kind of where Training Day was shot at, mm -hmm. so the whole premise is of that, and so <laughs> <laughs> she speaks about how um, she could remember coming outside. And looking up to Baldwin Hills at mm -hmm. her auntie house. And she said she remember one day something happened to her. And she remember looking up and her auntie was looking down. Oh, and it's wow. like the auntie didn't do nothing to stop whatever was happening to her. So I guess one of my things, the way that we can foster unity in our community is to stop letting our children inherit the same things we were giving. No guidance. No resources. Mm. Or resources that aren't real. Or not tangible. Yeah. I've um, <laughs> seen a joke, and um, I didn't take it as a joke, but I know the way that the person wrote it on um, Facebook was a joke. And it was like, um, where is Section 9? Because these old people ain't letting go of Section 8. <laughs> but it was funny because of how it crossed my mind. It's funny. It was funny for me to read it in that moment because I literally thought about like how you do have not my aunties, but some aunties. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's auntie. Somebody's yeah. auntie. Um, still on section eight. Been on section eight since she was twenty-two, and she's sixty now. And she's sixty. <laughs> you ain't did nothing in life. Where you can't get off Section 8. Right. And I'm not knocking that, right? right? But it's those are the same kids that are that are me. And I'm not saying that my mom was on Section 8 or anything like that. But these are the examples that I had that made me have to feel like I had to work twice as hard to obtain things because I didn't want to be on Section 8. Or I didn't want food stamps. Or the day that I'm blessed to have children, I don't want to have to go. Not saying I wouldn't take it because mm -hmm. all by means, I think that it's mine. But... Um, if I'm forced to go get food, but I think I should get food stamps. Nah, I'm, I'm 35 and single with no kids, but <laughs> I feel like I work very hard for food stamps because when I'm done paying my bills and you telling me that all I got is this $35 to go eat off of, well, okay, let me go get me a protein shake. Wow. You know, let me go get me some yeah. fruits and get me some vegetables because, um, yeah, meat meets this, you know, it makes sense where the pork and beans and the hot dogs and all of the things that are not healthy probably too 
me, right? Mm-hmm. But that's all I got left to go feed myself with, you know? Or where I have to resort back to the old school style of some black eyed peas with some neck bones mm-hmm. or some collard greens with some hog mo- like the, last a few days. Yeah, something that can stretch mm-hmm. because I gotta still I gotta you want me to still be a functioning adult in this uh in this this world that you have or this this matrix or mirage, whatever it is that you have created for us. For, for <laughs> us. And so um, it's the no guidance and the no resources because lack of knowledge. Yeah. People perish because of a lack of knowledge. And the thing is, is that um, I was talking about being on Clubhouse and listening in on these rooms. And the, one of the things I've been listening to is the law and the UCC codes and the USC codes and um, what the law is. And in the law, there is remedy. Um, the law even states that you're not supposed to pay for anything essential. That's a law. But we don't know it. And you're, so there's steps you have to take so that you don't have to pay for those essential things. But we're not taught that. No. So we don't know it. No. So it's lack of knowledge. And then it's the normalization of murder. Oh my God. Violence. I have a poem. About and that. oppressive police behavior. Um, violence is very normalized in our community. Mm-hmm. Murder is casual and death, and death is just expected. Right. And so I think once we can foster, because we got the talk. Did you get the talk? Oh, I think, is you black in America? I am. <laughs> so <laughs> we, but we're, we're taught at a very young age is to comply. To be agreeable. To be agreeable. Mm-hmm. And the moment you're not agreeable. Yeah. You're an angry black woman. And then, then Oh, my God. I'm just going to tattoo it on my forehead. Then. <laughs> right. Um, it's a big forehead. I think I can get it all on there. I remember uh, Dr. Umar Johnson. It was January 2nd. I remember this. Uh, we were coming into 20, 2020, maybe 2017. Anyway, he was here. And he was talking at Bobby, Raw Remedies, where I get my hair done, where we did the play. Um, and I was at a concert. And uh, I got a phone call. She's like, Dr. Umar Johnson's about to be here. And back then, I used to listen to him all the time. So she knew I wanted to come see him because I was going the next day to watch his talk. And I remember saying to him, I feel like, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm crazy. He said, you as a black woman in America, if you wasn't crazy, <laughs> be, I think something was wrong with you. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know? Yeah. Um, I definitely think that, that um, we often shape our movements and our actions around white fragility. Um, if it's something that it's going to be too fragile for them to hear, you know, we will shape our answer in a way that even though they should hear it the way we want to say it, we'll shape it in a way so that we're not offending their fragileness because they're so freaking fragile. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially when it comes to our issues. Yeah. I will say that in the play just recently, um, I had a, a, a white guy, his name's Patrick O'Shea, and he's phenomenal. He gets it. Like, he really understands their side and our side, and he sees things from a, 
they know what they did to you mm-hmm. and they're trying to act like they didn't do it. You know? you know what I think it is for me is that they think that we want an apology, right? I don't necessarily need an apology. Yeah, it's not. I don't I, think. I don't think an apology is enough. I, I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily. I, I think they want us to say. Want us to be like. You have to say you're sorry, and you don't. And I think that's what I come to love about one of my good friends. Um, her name is uh, Hallie Hallie Turkoff, and okay. she um, is Jewish. Okay. And what I love about Hallie is that we can have conversations like this until we blew in the face. And I don't love her no less. You know what I'm saying? Stand mm-hmm. in your truth. Stand in your your um the, your 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 truth, right? Because right. I'm not asking you for it. Sorry, you don't even got to be my friend, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that you have a deeper love for me, and you can understand what I've went through, right? And then you hold other people around you accountable, and that's what I love about Hallie. Hallie will hold everybody around her accountable. No, that ain't right. And you will not treat her as such. And not only does Hallie does does it, but mm-hmm. her family does it too. Right, right. I remember we went out somewhere, and I can't remember whether it was her birthday or her dad's birthday, and somebody made a comment about her dad's daughters, and her dad was like, you mean all of my kids? And then they looked weird at me. They, they looked, he was like, yeah, that's my daughter too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But he, he corrected it and he checked uh-huh. it, because you will not treat her any different. Right. Than what you treat these other people at this table, and so she's here because she's family. Yeah, right. Adopted or not, adopted uh, child is the same. I could easily, but you <laughs> know, I mean, it's it's black Jews. Yeah, uh, so who's okay. to say that <laughs> he didn't dip his toe in, in, the, in, you know, in that uh, pond? Right. And then I was just was the child that he chose to accept. So you don't know, right? See, because when you look at me, you don't really you know. Don't know. You don't know. Mm-hmm. You don't know any of us. You don't know. Really, you don't know. I mean. Um, I have a really good friend. Her name is Sparkle. Uh, you might know of her. Uh, she works with, um, uh, what is it, Go Urban Vegas uh, magazine. Um, and just Go Urban Vegas. And uh, she is Filipino and black. And I didn't know that for the longest time until she told me that she was half Filipino. I said, I just thought she was just totally just black girl. I didn't know. <laughs> You know, I didn't know. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have guessed it. Although her hair is phenomenal in terms of it's like really long and wavy. It's beautiful. But I've got sisters that I know that are all black that have hair like that. So I didn't know that she was mixed. I had no clue. <laughs> you actually remind me of her a little bit. <laughs> but that's what I tell people. You look at me, you would never know. Yeah. You never know. Especially I lose some weight. I look all type of Asian and Native American and. Everything in my face, but I mean, even with Tippy, Tippy, I don't know if she can hear me, but if you look at Tippy, Tippy mm-hmm. doesn't, she looks like she is possibly mixed, but I'm not sure. No, but yeah. we'll never know because yeah. when I look know. at her, I see another black woman well, on another her that. And you know, for <laughs> me, um, I remember growing up, if you had black in you, you was black, you know, and then yeah. you got a lot of these kids that are mixed race who. Don't who clearly are mixed black and their dad or their mom's black, but they don't identify as black at all. That that kind of trips me out. Although let's not use the term black, they're melanated, melanated, however you want to call it. They don't identify with that as a part of their culture because their mom or their dad's family is who they grew up with, and so they weren't really around black people to have been exposed to that culture, so they don't identify with it. And I get that. I do get that. No, I agree. Um, so, 
another thing is that um, a lot of laws, as you have spoke of, have been taken away from us. And I think that they need to recreate opportunity zones for us and let go of single party strongholds um, with little incentive to innovation. Um, because the truth is, is that 67 percent of African-American families um, that lived in the poorest quarter of neighborhoods a generation ago still live there. Yeah. Um, today um, and over at least two generations compared to only uh, 7% of white families. Um, this cycle of poverty um, has continued um, to be significant among us. And so I think that, um, like you said, we have to one, change the narrative. Mm -hmm. Definitely. We need to be able to recognize that we are the same especially in the eyes of those who are at war with us. And that's, that's another thing what I didn't understand is that if, if we know that the Constitution was not written with us in mind, right? And mm -hmm. why can't we, I mean, and I'm not saying everything about the Constitution is wrong, but the, the parts that we know are wrong. Why, why aren't we scrapping it? Like what, why aren't we, why aren't we doing anything about it? Like what, how do we, how do we mend this? Right. So. For me, um, my whole idea um, or the download I have regarding Mendes City is that we are in a position as spiritual beings having a human experience of being on one accord and finding resolutions to the problems that we're dealing with socially and economically. But it does take us to really unify so that we can um, organize this agenda and then execute a strategy, you know, and getting people to really come together to have those discussions and then create actionable steps so that we can move. That's the biggest challenge that I find, you know. Um, and I would say also that uh, resources are a big challenge because everything comes down to marketability. And it takes resources to really actively market something, you know. So this whole idea of mending a city, um, I think that there are thousands and thousands and thousands, if not millions of us, who are in the vein of really wanting us to mend, that really want us to unite. Um, I hear people talk about us uniting all the time, but where do we begin to unite, you know? Um, separate from the system that's in place for us. And, and, and that's like, you know, we can unite when it comes to going to the polls and electing people and getting them in office and it starts locally and I'm all down for, you know, those local elections and being a part of them to get people in office that can help to, you know, create the laws that affect us, you know, especially daily in our lives. Um, however, we're in a system that's at war with us. Mm -hmm. So how do we come together and unify outside of that system? You know, I think it, 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 it's, it comes through the strength and the prosperity and communication within ourselves and yeah. then being effectively able to communicate with each other. Um, I think that we have to change the conversation because the conversation can be way deeper than what not to do when the police stop us. But knowing the law, you know, knowing yeah. the law. See, 
you can have the conversation all day, but until we actually start teaching the law, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't know that it's going to be beneficial to us um, in this generation or generations to come. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we have to, we, we've got to a complacent, scared place where we can conform. We have let them tell us, well, so many of you have gone to college or so many of you have done this. And so therefore you, you had a fair ch- chance, right? But what about the kids that, um, didn't want to go to college where they really wanted to learn a trade, but you've taken vocational School, out of the way. schools. Right. And, um, do you say, you know, we gave you that they, we gave you that, you know, you, you got your chance. The playing field is not level. It's not. And it hasn't been for 400 years. And how do they make, they can't, they don't know how to make it level. Right. They don't know how to tally up what's owed. If we did a forensic study of all the businesses that are multi-billion dollar institutions today, they all got their start enslaving our ancestors, Mm -hmm. right? Most of them, they enslaved in their own land. They didn't bring them over here from Africa. I'm not saying that the African slave trade didn't happen. Clearly it did. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of our ancestors who were already here who were enslaved in their own land. And that's a narrative that most people don't hear and no one really wants to talk about. But this is our land. We're mm-hmm. not all from the continent of Africa. Yes, we are all over, from all over. Like this whole world was covered with melanated people. Way before Columbus got in a boat with a black man who was a Moor. That brought him to America you know, so they could do commerce here. You know, it's funny. I always make the joke is that I am part of the tribe that um, migrated up and came around and then came across the Bering Strait. Okay. Wow. But when I tell people that, they look at me like, what? And then most people are like, well, what is the Bering Strait? Where that's the part that was connected over to India. Right. That connected to Alaska. And it was a long piece of ice that you could walk Uh across i said so i'm not saying we didn't come from africa because you know it all traces back to it but Mm -hmm. i I feel like i don't know where i started at and where my ancestors started out at but i feel that way like i feel like i started my wherever i came from started Mm -hmm. somewhere in africa and migrated up around and came across the barren street okay and you can't tell me that they didn't yeah got a way to prove it yeah it's not a kosher record you got you know, it's that memory that you have that's innate in you, right? Like, um, I recently found out that there are pyramids in the Grand Canyon. <coughs> One is the Pyramid of Isis. And it's forbidden. You can't fly over it. You can't walk to it. It's forbidden land. Completely forbidden. It's, you, you can't, you can't go anywhere near it because they don't want us to know that it's there, but it's there. There's several. So um, Tennessee has a city called Memphis. Could this have been Egypt? And they just restructured the map to make us think differently? Yeah. Absolutely. Because there's a whole lot of pyramids in the United States. Well, that, that's they the thing. They don't want us to know about Well, that's the thing. You know that um, Africa mm-hmm. can be found in four different, in every continent. 
Yeah. Af pieces of Africa. Yeah. Af the, the history of the yeah. people who are labeled African. And I read that today, and I don't know where I read that at. Uh -huh. But, oh, I, I was looking up interesting facts because somebody asked me to give them an interesting fact. Okay. But <laughs> um, Africa uh -huh. can be found on every single continent. Right, right. So back in 1776, there was a... Um, I think it was 1776. No, it was before that. Because 1776 is when we got our... Was there a treaty of peace and friendship that was signed by um, the Sultan of Morocco, which gave permission to the United States of America, or just the United States maybe at that time, to do commerce on this continent. Because at that time, this was northwest and southwest of Mexico, not north and South America. That's what it was called. And then there's a letter that George Washington wrote after the war in 17, when we did got our liberty uh, from uh, the British uh, after that war, uh, Revolutionary War. Um, George Washington was elected into office in April of, of 1778. Or 79, 79. And then in December of 1779, he wrote a letter to the Sultan of Morocco begging him not to come and attack them and letting him know that we are still operating in good faith and in service to you. This is a black man. Yeah, because yeah. this was his land. I, I, you know, I can believe that. <laughs> There's a, it's George I read it the other day. It might still be on my thing. I, you know, There's why, a leather you know, George Washington. You know why I can believe that? Because look at different states now that like California, where you got them getting ready to go ahead and give reparations. But what they're starting to do is give back land that naturally belong, belonged to melanated people. People, absolutely. Um, like Manhattan Beach, for example. Yeah, right. um, they're giving it back because mm -hmm. it it belonged. To them. To them. Yeah, there's some other, I think it's um, Virginia and I think South Carolina. There's a couple of states on the East Coast that have passed laws that if you can trace your ancestry back to a specific landmass, you can claim title. Oh, that would be interesting. Because I'm into yeah. the genealogy and stuff yeah. like that, like especially in my family. And, right, right. I mean, and I would love to see it go back to some other people family so anybody looking to do genealogy and you need some help on it reach out to me because i'm actually very very good at it i've been doing it since uh the 10th grade um by way of one of my teachers i think her name was miss smith um so she she started me on that path okay. and I, I found some interesting things out about my family um <laughs> some very interesting things um i know my mom's been doing ancestry.com and um, looking up some things about our family. You'll uh, be surprised what you yeah, find. Yeah, and I wanna, I, I, I'm gonna hit you up on that because I wanna know more. I have a cousin, Nedra, and I don't know if it's just Nedra or maybe it's Lynn or maybe it's all of them. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe they did it collectively together, but I know like on my dad's side of the family, like they gave me a lot of pertinent information about that side and mm -hmm. it made me actually feel a little bit better about who I was just right. to be able to be able to look at some pictures and some people to be like, oh, 
Oh, that's who I look like. Okay, right. Oh, that's where the nose came from, or that's where the high cheekbones came okay. from, or that's where, you know, it, it, it gave me a sense of completion. So I, I definitely recommend anybody who I is. I think genealogy is important. Um, like I said, I'm on Clubhouse a lot, and there's a group who um, are Ameri Indians. They're American Indians, and um, they all look black in their ancestry. Um, everyone's melanated, and they are origins are here, and they've got documentation of it. Yeah. They, their family was not slaves. They were not enslaved, and they were here before they came. For I can thousands believe it. of years. I yeah. can believe it. Okay. So, so where can we find you performing at? Like, if we wanted to follow you, find you, support you, where where so where, where the best we? place to support me is it goes to Menda City Official on both Facebook and Instagram, or you can go to Tabia Mawusi um, on Facebook. Um, I think I have an Instagram too, but I never use it. I have people who handle the Menda City page. Okay, yeah. <laughs> they might be working on mine too. I don't know, but um, I would say when it comes to performing I really haven't I might pop up with an open the mic that someone I know might be hosting and perform but I haven't really done much performing although I do want to do my first play again soon so okay. I'm looking to meet with China Hudson she's over at the West Las Vegas Library Theater okay. and see if I can get on their calendar uh, to do some some of our plays there okay. um, we are meeting every Monday um, I would put out some information, let you know where. We were meeting every Monday at the Truth Spot. Um, it's owned by Rel, but I think he's looking for another location. So until he finds that location, um, I'll find out where the address is that we're gonna be meeting. We haven't set in stone where that is, but um, you'll find the information on our Facebook page. And um, we really want more people to come. I mean, my cast is very motivated and inspired by the clarion calls and they all have ones that they want to answer and address. And if you don't mind, I'd really like to share those real quick. Yes. Okay, so the first clarion call is to the head. So um, it's for us to come into agreement that we need to mend a city. And the city we're called to mend is the ethnicity most often referred to as African American and black. And the idea is for us to get on one accord, to unify, to strategize, and to organize an agenda that allows us to heal. Um, and then the second one is to the arms. So it's all body parts. So it's kind of like after the body of Christ, right? Okay. So um, the arms are our influence. It's what we use to reach out to people, right? So it's all about our influence. Influence can be finances. Influence can be social influence. But your influence, you know, um, and what are you using your influence for? Are you using your influence to support black businesses? Are you using your influence to bring people into the movement? Um, and how are you managing your finances? Because um, your finances are your influence as well. And so um, maybe correcting your status, getting into private, being a private individual, creating a trust, that type of stuff would fall into that. Um, where you're banking and how you're banking. Are you banking publicly? Are you banking privately? And knowing the difference and learning the difference, those are things that we would be addressing. People who have expertise and passion about those things, we're encouraging you to answer that call. Everyone has to answer the first call. Okay, and then the idea is that for each call where people are effectively moving, they come up with solutions to share with everyone so that whatever that calling is addressing, 
they can take action even if they're not that expert in it, right? So the third clarion call is to the legs. Mm-hmm. The legs are what we stand on. So that means family. It's our support system, right? It's that thing that carries us. It's family. So it's all about family. So focus on family. And um, when we focus on family, we're looking at the foster care system and we're looking at the education system and the foster care and school, the prison pipelines, mass incarceration of our men and women, mental health, family, counseling, that type of thing. Um, Also creating wills, estates, and trusts deals with family as well. So that's that's the third one, the legs. The fourth is the body. And that is all about what are we eating and putting into our bodies as well as what are we using in terms of medication. there's a whole lot of toxic things that the FDA approves for us to put in our bodies. And there's a lot of things that, you know, the typical American diet really isn't for us as a people, as melanated beings. A lot of things that we're putting into our system as energy, our bodies reject. So we need to really be educated and learn about those things. It comes down to farming and agriculture. Um, so anyone, like I said, farmers, we need farmers. And there's a black farm bill of 2021, which grants land to black people as long as you identify as black or African-American or have an ancestor a parent who identifies or African-American, you can qualify, especially if your family has a history of um, farming, then it's easier to qualify. If you don't, then you need to be in school or agree to go to school so that you can learn. But if you are a black veteran, all black veterans, regardless of whether or not they have an ancestor or history of farming in their family, can get free land. It's literally granted to you. So that's the Black Farm Bill of 2021. If you're interested in farming, look into that. And we all need to get back to having a relationship with the land. Yes. So that's four. Uh, Five is the feet. And the feet is what we use to run the race. And as Dr. Claude Anderson says, he wrote, um, what is that book? Uh, Oh my God, please forgive me. Powernomics. Powernomics, I think that's what it's called. Powernomics by Dr. Claude Anderson, but he talks about um, economics. And he says that racism is a team sport and we don't have our team together to play the game. <laughs> we we need to get our team together to play the game. So five deals with um, political strategies, political science, um, the organizing of the agenda, and the actionable movement within the law and legislation of the government, and then and within ourselves in our own nation or community. You know what? He has a book called Black Labor, White Wealth. Yes, that he I, does. Yeah. So he's a real well-known yes, black on, economics yes. uh, guy. He's Sorry, on I the Clinton, yeah. I was, was about to say, I, I've heard I'm a mother. <laughs> he's very knowledgeable, um, definitely one of the elders that we need to tap into and get a clear um, understanding of the lessons that he's, he's teaching. And uh, it's... Powernomics talks about us being the bottom, the, the bottom social class, like, and it's intentional. It's intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's five, getting the, our feet together, running a race. Uh, six is the call to the hands. And so the hands are what we use to create, what we use to mold, what we use to write, what we use to hammer 
right? Mm -hmm. So the hands are all about producing and creating. So it's a it's a call to entrepreneurs, to business owners. It deals with business, commerce, um, education, um, environment, even um, technology, AI, all of that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then, so if you're passionate about those things, do it with the idea of mending a city, right? And then clearing call number seven is to the soul. And the reason why it's the clearing call to the soul deals with home ownership. And so I'm a spiritual being and inhabiting a human body that is housed, my soul is housed in this body and this body needs a place to rest, so it needs a home. Everybody needs a home. It's the American dream is home ownership, right? So I infiltrated the mortgage system. I am a mortgage loan originator. I um, do loans. I did decided to go that route instead of becoming a realtor because I felt like I needed to know what the money do. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to know what the money do. What does it really take financially to buy a home? And I would say that, um, yes, we definitely have a history of racism, systemic racism in the housing industry, housing, Racism is a national housing crisis. Absolutely, I agree with that. But I think that a lot of fear is attached to people stepping out in faith to become homeowners. They just don't think it's something they're ever gonna be able to do, so they never even try. And I wanna over help people overcome that. So um, I have a part of the nonprofit called Be Home, which is Black Home Ownership Matters Education. And so I do uh, workshops or seminars um, twice a week um, I kind of haven't been doing it lately because I had a busy schedule doing the play, but I'll be getting back to that in August, um, doing those classes twice a week where people can come on. The first class literally takes you through the 20 steps to home ownership from application to closing to you getting the keys to your front door. And then the second class is more of an interpersonal look at what home ownership means to you on a personal level, what it means to you, what it means for your family, what it means to your community, and what does your occupational purpose have to do with that? Because regardless of how we want to see it, no, you cannot work driving, um, work uh, at McDonald's, unfortunately, making minimum wage and qualify to buy a home that is livable. Unfortunately, that's just a fact. So what, what are you doing for yourself so that you can find a career that's going to enable you to become a homeowner. I think that's important for a lot of people to, to deal with or to, to identify with. And then the eighth clarion call is to the spirit. And it's the resilience of our spirit to survive at all costs. that allows us to still be here today regardless of what has been done to us and the traumas that we've experienced and our ancestors have been through. And so in that, there's this vision to create communities, cities, townships. Um, I think there's a town in Atlanta called Friendship, mm -hmm. uh, and it's a bunch of African-American, black, melanated people who came together and um, bought some acres and they created their own town. And I think that's definitely something that needs to be done all across the states. Where um, for me and the vision for Minda City, oh no, we get 500 acres, 1,000 acres. I don't know how many acres we need, but we need to buy up some acres, get some farming, get some manufacturing, build some schools, build some houses. So communities like a village. I remember um, a gentleman I met 
he was from uh, Nigeria and where he lived in the village that he grew up in, um, he left and went to the city. But if he was hungry, he knew he could go to the village mm -hmm. and eat anytime he wanted to. Mm -hmm. And he didn't have to spend a dime. He knew he could go to the village and sleep because anyone in that village would let him come and stay with them. So we need to create that type of a space where we have a village that, yeah, you can leave the village, go to the city, make it do what it do, get that bag, you know? But if you ever need to come home, this is your village right here yes. to come home to. It's the point of it. That's what we're home. missing. It is. Yeah. And so we do need all of those things to unite. Um, as you were speaking, I, I know you can't see it, but my heart was bursting with joy. Um, <laughs> awesome. I, I don't think that this happened uh, by chance. I do believe that this was fate. Mm -hmm. um, I'm so very ever and grateful for you to come and sit oh on my, my podcast. God. Thank you for having me. this conversation with me. Um, I definitely want to support you in any way that I can going forward. I remember when we first talked and I said... I think you started it and you was like, well, people want you to pay. I said, listen, I was about to say, I can't pay you to come <laughs> on, on this podcast. But anything that I can do to be of a help to you, as you have been already. a blessing to me, um, I would love to be able to um, to do it. Um, I do want to end the show Absolutely. with saying um, a house divided is a house that cannot stand. Mm -hmm. I want you to ask yourself, why do you think America paints us as the victim and then condemns us for being the victim? And then does this affect how we unite with one another? Um, unite among people. Uniting with people starts with you. Tell a black person today, or excuse me, a melanated <laughs> person today, that they are beautiful. Start with kindness to one another and that's it. And that's all. Um, tune in for the next episode where we discuss education and mental health with Desiree Bailey of Logan's Learning Lab. Make sure you subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, um, Amazon. What else am I on? Um, Apple Podcasts. Um, I'm running them, y'all. Uh, Podvane. Um you can just simply type it in. That's it. That's all. And it should pull up. And if it doesn't, just keep looking. Um, my logo is the phases of the moon with a sunflower. Um, very significant to my own growth. Um, also, make sure you subscribe to my page on YouTube. Follow me on social media. Um, that's it. That's all on Instagram. You got any social media? Again, um, that you just the Minda City, Minda City official on um, Instagram and Minda City Official on Facebook. And if you want to hit me up on Facebook, I'm Tabia Mawusi on Facebook. That's T-A-B-I-A-M-A-W-U-S-I. Well, that is it. And that is all podcast with Alina. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. And again, you all have a very, very, very blessed one. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop it over here.